To download more lectures, learn more about our project, and to help support it, visit www.bayina.com dream. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H slash dream. You are free to share these recordings with family and friends. Thank you and Jazakumullah Khairan for helping us make our dream a reality. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Abasa wa tawalla Anjaahu al-a'ma Wama yudrika la'allahu yazzakka أو يذكر فتنفعه الذكرى أما من استغنى فأنت له تصدى وما عليك ألا يزكى وأما من جاءك يسعى وهو يخشى فأنت عنه تلهى كلا إنها تذكرة فمن شاء ذكرة في صحف مكرمة مرفوعة مطهرة بأيدي سفرة كرام بررة رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقدة من لساني يفقهوا قولي والحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على سيد الانبياء والمرسلين وعلى اله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته الى يوم الدين اللهم اجعلنا منهم ومن الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر امين يا رب العالمين ثم اما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته ان شاء الله تعالى before we discuss an introduction to surah abasa and its themes uh, just a continuation of our tradition of introducing or connecting the conclusion of one surah to the in, with the introduction to the next. In the previous surah, Surah Al-Nazi'at, we found two contrasting kinds of people that Allah mentions towards the end. On the one hand, فَأَمَّا مَنْ طَغَى وَآثَرَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا As for the one who rebelled and gave preference to worldly life. So that was on the one hand. On the other hand, Allah says, وَأَمَّا مَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ وَنَهَا النَّفْسَ عَنِ الْهَوَى and as for the one who feared standing before their Lord and prevented their own self as though it's something outside of themselves from you know, vain or pathetic or empty desire. In this, from the very beginning, we find two groups also. On the one hand, Allah Azza wa speaks about أَمَّا مَنْ istagna, As for the one who doesn't care. And who is the one who doesn't care? The one who was mentioned in the previous surah towards the end, the one who rebels and gives preference to worldly life. On the other hand here, وَأَمَّا مَنْ جَاءَكَ يَسْعَى وَهُوَ يَخْشَى And as for the one who comes to you running and he is fearful, this is the one that Allah mentioned in the previous surah towards the end, when he said, وَأَمَّا مَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ وَنَهَا النَّفْسَ عَنِ الْهَوَى As for the one who fears standing before his Lord. So the two contrasting groups, the believer and disbeliever, certain traits mentioned towards the end of a naziat and we begin with a new, fresh look at these two kinds of contrasts in Surah Abasa. Now inshaAllah Ta'ala, as one of the most important and famous Themes of Surah Abasa, the beginning passage of this surah. There's a lot more to the surah than this, but it's very famous. And it's also uh, sometimes not spoken about properly. Before we inshallah get into the dars of this surah, one of the very sensitive things we should be careful about is how we speak about Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa This is a very sensitive matter. So much so that 
in uh, Madani Quran, when Allah Azza wa was teaching the Sahaba mannerisms, and a lot of the Bedouins, they didn't know any better, when he was teaching the mannerisms, if they would so much as speak to the Messenger وسلم, too casually, not even insulting him, just talking to him too casually, ayat would come down threatening them to take, to take a step back. So for example, you have Surah Al-Hujurat, where you know, the Bedouin comes outside, a bunch of them, and say, Ya Muhammad, ukhruj alayna. Right, Muhammad, come out, we got to talk to you. They come right outside his apartment, and you know, this is, they were kind of rough, and they weren't very civilized or city people, you could think of them, right? They were kind of rough around the edges. So they brought that with them to Islam, and they spoke to the Messenger وسلم, in kind of a harsh tone, which wasn't harsh to them. Keep in mind, that's just how they talked, right? And when Allah Azza wa Jal saw this, He gave them a warning. He said, وَلَا تَجْهَرُوا لَهُ بِالْقَوْلِ كَجَهْرِ بَعْضِكُمْ بَعْضًا don't you call him, don't you, you know, raise your voice at him and call him like you call each other. He's not the same, it's not the same. And if you do this, all of your good deeds may be seized and you won't have, you won't have any idea. You won't even realize. He, in the same surah, he threatens, You better know that in your midst, especially in your midst, meaning the Sahaba, the companions, is the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then in that same ayah where he mentions that you have to be, when, when, uh, you know, be careful with the Messenger وسلم, in that same ayah he says, That no doubt it is Allah who has made Iman beloved to you and beautified it in your hearts. So it began with regard for the Messenger and then it concludes towards a beautification of Iman in our hearts. There's no Iman of Allah, of Allah mentioned. There's no Iman in the angels mentioned. There's no Iman in the books mentioned. What Iman is mentioned? Rather not even Iman, regard, honor. Sensitivity in, in how we address or speak of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam This is an important consideration Because in our times you have two kinds of extremes On the one hand you have people that almost have no respect Even Muslims have no respect in how they talk about the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And this can occur when you talk casually about the Sunnah of, his, of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Right, oh it's just a hadith Or you know it's not in the Quran or, or his job was just to deliver the message and he did so We don't have to take every little thing he did, etc, etc you know, we have to be very careful when we talk about these kinds of things. I'm not saying that intellectual discourse cannot exist. But when it exists, there have to be very, very serious and very sensitive parameters. A very careful speech has to take place. Now, on the other hand, you have Muslims even, who consider themselves Muslims, who have so much love and so much regard for the Messenger of Allah وسلم, that they go as far as almost committing shirk with him, sometimes explicitly, Sometimes explicit, out of love and regard, nothing, no, it's not bad intentions, it's out of love and regard. And on the other hand, when it comes to certain ayat which appear to be critical of the Messenger, وسلم, they, they reinterpret them to mean something, something that isn't true in the language. Now the thing is, you have to be true to the language. It is Allah who speaks, He speaks in the clearest fashion. Allah Himself says, بِلِسَانٍ عَرَبِيٍّ مُبِينٍ It is in clear or, and clarifying Arabic speech. This is the nature of the Qur'an. So if Allah says something, you can say, well, he said this, but he, what he really meant was this. So you can't, that would be a departure from being true to the language of the Qur'an. So you have to walk this really fine line down the middle, right? But there are some things that we have to keep as, as golden standards that we cannot cross. And one of them is that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is free of sin. That he does not disobey Allah and that he does not commit sin. So whenever we study something, that golden standard cannot waver. We cannot look back and say, no, but some have even said in the past, oh, he only committed minor sins, etc., etc. But no, this is, I mean, pretty much ijma' in our aqidah that he does not commit sin. That Allah Azza wa Jal has purified his heart, that he has made his heart firm, 
and that he is the golden standard of, of a human character, so he's free of sin. Allah Azza wa has protected him. Nonetheless, now with all of that in mind, inshallah ta'ala, we begin a study of this surah and understand the, the hikmah, the wisdom, some of the wisdom, some droplets of wisdom of this particular address. Abasa wa tawalla, commonly translated, the introduction of the surah, he frowned and turned away. That's how it's commonly translated, that he frowned and he turned away. Now, to understand the context, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, was speaking to some of the leaders of Quraysh. In some narrations, we find their names also. That, that happened to be Utbah ibn Rabi'ah, who's one of the most obnoxious kuffar, Abu Jahl. Right? Some of these people were in this disc- discourse, and he was talking to, obviously, the big guns of Makkah. Okay? And they're actually talking to him. Most of the time, we find, like in the previous surah, they're casually poking fun at him, or they're being sarcastic about the Akhirah as we found other comments in Surah Naba also and Nazi'at also. But this time it appeared that they were actually engaged in some sort of conversation. So it seems like he's getting somewhere with them. On the other hand, you have Abdullah ibn, uh, ibn Umm Maktoum, who is a cousin of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. And this is why he's close to the Prophet because he's connected, he's family. And he's, we know that he was blind radiallahu anhu and he's one of the earliest to believe radiallahu anhu. By the way, this surah is not also about insulting him. Because he is a, one of the earliest companions and one of the earliest acceptors of Islam, and these are from a sabiqun, a sabiqun, the first of the first, right? So we have to maintain that honor also. On the other hand, he was blind, and when you're blind, you know this, uh, and some of the scholars comment on this, that you overcompensate for others to acknowledge your presence because you don't know if they see you or not by raising your voice, right? This is you, and it's natural. They don't see themselves as. Being loud, it just comes because one of those senses is taken away, the other becomes ex- you know, excited. So he comes to the Messenger وسلم, and he says, according to one narration, Teach me from what Allah taught you. And he said this over and over. Because he didn't hear the Messenger's response immediately, وسلم, he assumed maybe the Prophet didn't hear him. Now, the Prophet وسلم, right now is engaged in this conversation, which seems like a rare occasion. It doesn't really happen often that he gets the ear of some of these big leaders all at one time, and they're actually listening, right? So there are a few strategic problems here. One problem is one of the complaints that has always been the case of the leaders of kufr, the leaders of disbelief, not just with our messenger, وسلم, also in previous messengers' times, is that why should we accept this man when the low lives... These, the scum of society, these peasants, they hang around him, and this is one of the reasons they would say that we can't associate ourselves with you because you hang out with the lower class. You know, these poor, these weak, these powerless, the oppressed, they seem to be the ones lining up with you. We can't be seen associated, associating with them because it takes away from our elite status. So you want to talk to us? Talk to us separately. Right? We're not going to come to you. You're going to have to come to us, right? So this seems like that situation where the Messenger is actually gone to them, right? Da'wah is to invite someone to you. Literally, it means invitation. But tabligh is to get the message out. And this part of the Messenger's work was what? Tabligh. He's going out to them. He's going out to them. Now, in this scenario, one of the problems is they'll so much as see Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, and that's enough. They'll invalidate the da'wah. They'll walk away. We don't want to be seen in the presence of this guy. Another issue here is the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is finally getting somewhere. If he turns to this Sahabi right now and addresses his concerns, which can wait. It's not like he's going anywhere. He will be back. And he's, he's a true believer. He's a devout follower. So his response can wait. What cannot wait is this golden opportunity for getting the message to these people who are finally listening. So if you look at it from the Messenger's point of view, وسلم, there's nothing wrong in what he does. There's nothing wrong in what he does. The other thing to note here is we know that 
oh, Ibn Umm Maktoum is blind. So when the messenger frowns, sallallahu alayhi wa you know when you frown at somebody, then uh, you can only get offended if what? You see it. You see it. So the, 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 the idea of being rude or being upset or being disturbed at someone is something visual. So we notice from the narration even, Allah didn't even mention his name, he mentioned that he's blind. In another indication of the innocence of the Messenger of Allah and his character, that he didn't say, you know how in, in, in regards to our parents, Allah has, says, فَلَا تَقُلَّهُمَا أُفْ right? Don't even say uf to them. Don't even let them hear some frustration. We don't hear the Messenger of Allah expressing any fr frustration verbally. Rather we learn about him expressing frustration on his face. And we'll learn more about the nature of the word abasa in a moment, inshallah. And he turns away slightly. Now when he turns away, you know, trying to finish off the conversation he's having with the Quraysh or with, with some of the leaders of the Kuffar, can the Sahabi notice him turning away? No, he can't notice that either. So first of all, understand he did not offend a believer. He did not offend a believer at all. So then if this is no, there's no problem, why are these ayat coming down? This is absolutely critical to understand. You see, you and I have a standard Allah has set for us for the Muslim. Then there's a higher standard for the mu'min. Then there's a higher standard for who? The muhsin, right? There's a higher standard. And then none of these can compare to the standard Allah has for a messenger of Allah. And of them, you can never compare your standards with the standards of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Allah azza wa is very, very, very sensitive to every intricate mannerism, every smallest, minutest gesture of our messenger sallallahu alayhi wa the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa so much as looks at the sky. He looks at the sky and Allah notices and then ayah comes down, We saw your face turning to the sky in aspiration in missing the Kaaba. The ayat came down, right? So there's a very intricate relationship between Allah azza wa and the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Keep this standard in mind. And just to give you some idea of that elevated status, that standard, for us there are the five prayers. For us, there are the five prayers. When Allah speaks to His Messenger وسلم, He mandates him for Qiyam al-Layl. <coughs> Stand in the night. It's fi'il amr. It's a command. He commands His Messenger to Qiyam al-Layl half the night. Half the night at a minimal. right? Or even some more sometimes when you have the opportunity. And recite the Qur'an in a slow rhythmic tone. Is this a standard for us? No. It's not mandated upon us, but it's mandated upon him, sallallahu alayhi wa right? Similarly, the work of da'wah, we could say, yes, it's something important, we should do it, we should do it whenever we have an opportunity. The Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa when does he have to do the work of da'wah? All the time. He has no break. He can't stop. He's constantly to go and deliver the message of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa So there's really no comparison. Now, keeping that in mind, keeping that in mind, understand that the messengers, take the messenger Musa, alayhi salam, for example, Allah commanded him. Allah commanded him to, to come and meet him at, you know, in the valley. And he came early, out of zeal. They're so excited about the mission that Allah has given them, they want to make progress in it quickly. Similarly, when Messenger of Allah وسلم, was given Qur'an, he was in such zeal to re receive that revelation, he would try to memorize it quickly. This is from the zeal of the Messenger So Allah had to reveal an ayah calming him down Don't rush your tongue to acquire the Qur'an quickly Relax We have taken ourselves to compile the Qur'an for you right? So Allah took that responsibility Telling the Messenger it is not your problem But see the Messengers are so concerned They have such a huge responsibility upon them And most of all the Messenger of Allah Who you have to understand He's not just giving da'wah to the Quraysh 
He's not just giving da'wah to the Makkans. What this man does in his few years of worldly life, he understands has implications for all of humanity to come because there are no more messengers coming. So everything he does, he's got the, literally the weight of the world on his shoulders. You have to understand this, right? He's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. And so he understands that giving the, when these leaders, if even any one of them has an inkling of Islam, how much strength Islam will gain. How much of a, of a good that will come, that Islam will bring. So he's constantly concerned about taking the mission to the next step, making sure that it reaches certain milestones. And in this, this was a golden opportunity. This is the reason for which he turned. And some of the ulama even comment, it is more important to teach someone who is interested about Islam, a non-Muslim who, is, who seems to be interested in Islam because only Allah knows the hearts. It's more important for one to teach him than to teach a Muslim because the Muslim can wait. That if, so if da'wah is being done, for example, the non-Muslim walks into the masjid asking some questions about Islam to the imam. And some Muslim has some questions about Islam also. Or, you know, they're asking about some personal issue about wudu or salah or something else. Or they're going to hajj this year. Can the Muslim wait in this matter? Yes. Because the non-Muslim may never come back. He may go. And if he takes shahada, what a blessing that will be for the entire community and perhaps for so many more people that will come to Islam through him. So the, 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 the good that comes out of da'wah to a non-Muslim is far superior to simply ask, answering a question to a Muslim even though there's good in both of them. But you understand that there's a higher priority. Now, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions Abasa. One of the beauties of this, you know, Allah reprimands the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is in itself an indication that this is not the word of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Why would he reprimand himself? Why would he criticize himself? And why would he be so nervous about the ayat, these ayat? You know, he's in these ayat, apparently he's upset at who? Or he's frustrated with who? With Ibn Maktoum. Right? Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum. Now, if, if that's the case, then why is it that whenever he saw this Sahabi radiallahu anhu, he used to say, Ahlan biman atabani fihi rabbi. You know, welcome to the one who Allah called me out on. <laughs> My Lord called me out on you. You be welcome. And he would make sure he has a seat. He would take special care of him. And this was not out of sarcasm. This wasn't even out of sarcasm. The Sahaba note, they comment that he used to have special regard, special honor for Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum. If he had actually upset him, and the Qur'an is his own word, he should be upset with him for a long time after. But see, so in and of itself, it's an indication that Qur'an is not the word of Muhammad wasallam. Rather, it is revealed to him. A few beautiful things about the word Abasa, though, before we go further, inshallah. In the Arabic language, there are different words for frowning. And so I said in the beginning even, you know, uh, Abasa is translated as he frowned. He frowned. But you know, in the Arabic language, you have Abasa, that you have kalaha, like kalihun is used in the Qur'an. Kalh is when you have so much upset or the, the gesture on your face of being disturbed or perturbed is so much that you can almost see your teeth grinding. That's when kalh is used. And then on the, uh, a step above that is basar, right? Thumma nazara wa basar, thumma adbara wa stakbar. This basar is when you see the teeth grinding, the face is bulging, and it's actually turning into an ugly face. Your, your face is becoming ugly due to disturbance or due to you know dissonance some kind of friction that you notice okay so this is a higher state and then finally there's basal which i don't believe it's used in the quran but the kind of perturbed expression that lasts only between your eyes over here in the middle of your forehead there's some bulge and none of your face and none even of your breath in your breath or in your voice is there any indication of being except, upset except this bulging of the forehead that's called abas Abus, okay, Abus actually the master, okay.
Okay? So what we learn from that is of the words that you can use for frustration, when the Messenger وسلم, directed his frustration at a blind companion, he, you know, he used or he expressed the minimal level of frustration humanly possible. And even that Allah noticed, and Allah recorded, Abasa wa tawalla. Okay? Now, again, we need to understand the wisdom. First of all, we know why he's concerned, because this, the mission is his top priority, and this seems to be an obstacle in that mission. There's another reason Allah comments on this, this, this ubus of the Messenger. He comments on it because the Messenger of Allah, he's a role model in many, many, many things. He's a role model as a father. He's a role model as a neighbor. He's a role model as a judge between people. He's a role model in many capacities. One of those capacities is a leader. He is a leader of those who believe in him at that time, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He's their leader. Now, you know, in a good group, in a group that is cohesive and united, the people are aligned with that leader. They love that leader. And they love that leader because that leader shows love to them. They show, he shows love to them. If the leader makes the followers seem, feel unimportant, if he makes them so much as feel unimportant, the cohesion of that group starts falling apart. We find the companions of the Messenger ﷺ, each of them convinced that the Messenger loves them the most. Each of them convinced that the Messenger loves them the most ﷺ. This is the sign of true leadership. Compare that leadership to the kind of leadership we have Nowadays, each of us is convinced that our leader hates us the most, right? So it's the other way around, subhanAllah. But the other, you know, this is the case of the leadership of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa It is possible that another one of the fuqara as-sahaba, another one of the du'afa, the, the weak, or the poor, or the helpless, or the oppressed of the sahaba, might see this from a distance, not knowing the full situation. They might look at it maybe from a hundred yards away. What would they see? They would see the messenger paying attention وسلم, to the elite and undermining the importance of one of their own. So this would undermine his status as a leader. So Allah lets the companions know how important they are by addressing his messenger وسلم, saying Abasa. This is very, very powerful. That Allah comes to the aid of the companions. And this happens over and over and over again in the Quran. Allah says, Wala ta'du anhum. Don't turn your eyes away from them. Some of the toughest ayat in the Quran are in defense of the, the companions. In another, another place in Surah Al Imran, Allah Azza wa tells us with the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, it is only by Allah's mercy that you're lenient towards them. Allah counts His mercy upon the Messenger, وسلم, a favor on the Messenger. And what is that favor? Not the revelation. Not the revelation of the Qur'an, not Isra and Mi'raj, not Fath Makkah, not Inna A'tlinaq Al-Kawthar. In this ayah, what is the favor of Allah? That you, are, you have been charged with leniency, with going easy on the companions. SubhanAllah. And وَلَوْ كُنْتَ فَضَّنْ غَلِيدَ الْقَلْبِ لَنْفَضُّ مِنْ حَوْلِكَ If you were tough, hard-hearted, they would have run away from you. Allah speaks to the defense of the Sahaba in this ayah and then commands His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, فَعْفُ عَنْهُمْ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ وَشَاوِرْهُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ Forgive them lovingly, ask Allah to forgive them, and when you make a decision, take their consultation. Right? SubhanAllah. Think about this. Does the Messenger need consultation? The Messenger receives answers of any question from what? From revelation, from wahi. Why does he have to ask consultation? This is again making the Sahaba feel included. Even though in the end the decision doesn't lie in consensus. The decision lies with who? 
with the Messenger of Allah. So Allah says, فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ He doesn't say, فَإِذَا عَزَمْتُمْ He says, فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ When you've reached decision, then put your trust in Allah. He didn't say, فَإِذَا عَزَمْتُمْ فَتَوَكَّلُوا عَلَى اللَّهِ But he says, فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ Singular. Singular. Even though you should consult them, that consultation is to make them feel included. In the end, the decision still lies with you. But you need to make them feel included and part of the process. This is part of the work of the Messenger And specifically with those who have disappointed him. Because Allah says all of this after he says, forgive them, ask Allah to forgive them. You forgive someone who's made a mistake, right? So these are the followers who've disappointed the leader and still he's supposed to ask their opinion. This is, this is leadership. This is the highest caliber of leadership. You can't expect this kind of leadership from a normal human being. We don't even show this kind of leadership to our children. A teacher can't show this kind of leadership in the classroom. This takes a lot of hilm, a lot of forbearance, a lot of patience, a lot of you know, this, this, this uh, tough you know, uh, character that can take in the problems but not let them out on, even on their face. You know, how many, how many problems is the Messenger وسلم, facing every day? And imagine, just don't look at the eye, look at his life, look at how hard his times, how hard the Meccan times are. And now he's got an opportunity to make da'wah, and here's this, you know, this Sahabi. And by the way, from, we learned that he actually said, Ya Muhammad, multiple times. Ya Muhammad, alimni mimma allah. Ya Muhammad, alimni mimma allamak allah. Muhammad, teach me what Allah taught you. Muhammad, teach me what Allah taught you. So he was calling him by name, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You know something in the Quran, we don't find Ya Muhammad. In the Quran, we only find Ya Ayyuhal Nabi, Ya Ayyuhal Rasul, Ya Ayyuhal Muzzammil, Ya Ayyuhal Muddathir, Muhammadun Rasulullah, wa ma Muhammadun illa Rasul. Right? Ma kana Muhammadun aba ahadim min rijalikum, walakin Rasulullah. We find the name, we find Rasulullah, sallallahu so even that one case, when it's only Muhammad without mention of Rasul, is in the case of Surah Muhammad itself where his name is highlighted, subhanAllah. Other than that, we find an elevated status. So we find even in the language of Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, there was a kind of casual thing, and perhaps because he was close in family, and perhaps also because this is early Meccan Sirah, and the Sahaba haven't totally been cultured yet. This is still new to them. Islam is still new to them. Anyhow, so the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi turned towards, uh, you know, turned away from Abdullah ibn Maktoum. And this is, by the way, anybody else in that situation would turn to the person and say, listen, I'm a little busy right now, just give me two minutes. We do this to people all the time. People call you and say, look, I have, I'm on an important call, I'll call you back, right? The Messenger of Allah doesn't even say that much because he's, he's that cautious of the Sahabi's feelings. All he does is show some bulges on his forehead and the ayat are revealed. And Allah Azza wa is so merciful to His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that He doesn't say, Abasta, Watawalaita, you frowned and you turned away. He said, He frowned and He turned away. He's, the third person is used. And then, Anja'ahul A'ma, because the, the blind came to Him. And we'll talk about that ayah in a second, but just understand the use of the third person here. In the Arabic language, when you reprimand someone in the third person, you're going easy on them. And when you reprimand someone in the second person, you're being hard on them. So even in the language, we understand that Allah is showing the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi mercy. He's going easy on him. Okay? You know, this is, imagine, just to give you some uh, a real life kind of example, imagine you're in a classroom full of children, right? And there's this one child that you want to, uh, you know, you want to reprimand, you want to discipline. You're going to send him to the principal's office or he's going to get sent home that day. He's done something really bad or something, right? You say, you know, a student didn't do, didn't do something very good today. 
a student didn't do something very good to him. Even if he knows it's him, he doesn't feel as bad. If you turn to him and say, Abdullah, you messed up pretty bad today. He'll feel far worse. The third person is a lot easier on the one being critiqued than the second person, addressing them directly. So when Allah spoke of the criticism, when Allah spoke of the criticism, subhanahu wa ta'ala, He used the third person, Abasa wa tawalla. He frowned and he turned away. And here is an mastariya. What it does is it, 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 the next sentence becomes maf'ul li ajlihi or maf'ul illa. It's called maf'ul lahu also. The reason, why did he turn away? As a result, that anja'ahu al-a'ma. And Allah did not say ataahu al-a'ma. Ata and ja'a come almost similarly in the Quran to come and to come, to arrive, to arrive, right? But ja'a means to come, it's, it's a stronger word, which actually illustrates that he came you know, with a lot of enthusiasm and he came running, even that becomes clear explicit later on. But ja'a is a stronger word than ata. So he came running and he came with this enthusiasm and he's a'ma, so he, of course he's blind, so he doesn't see what's coming. He doesn't see what's, what else is going on over there. He just walks right into that situation, al-a'ma. وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ لَعَلَّهُ And what will give you any clue? This, مَا يُدْرِيكَ is a very interesting phrase. It comes from da, uh, دَال, ra and ya, the root. And it's used in the Thulathi Mujarrad also like, uh, like Tadri or Yadri also, to know. But yudrika is actually what means do you have, what you know, tools do you have that you can manipulate to get some information. Like right now if we do idra, we do it over the internet. It's a tool we use to get information, right? So Allah is basically saying, you have no possible tools at your disposal whatsoever. He's telling the Messenger Notice the word you, by the way, here. He didn't say he, he said you. So the first two ayat were third person, and now there's iltifat lit-taqarrub or lit-taqrib. It, it, this transition to come closer to the Messenger And this ayah is commonly misunderstood. This, actually, this ayah is more of a defense of the Messenger from Allah than a criticism. Ma means you had no, no means at your disposal to try to find out if he's coming with good intent or not. Perhaps he may find the means to cleanse himself, to purify himself. Anyhow, so the first thing here is we note, Ma The Messenger of Allah has not been given the license to judge what is inside a person. He has no idea the one he's talking to has an inclination to cleanse themselves or not. As we will see as we progress in this surah, time and time and time again, this surah is connected and is completing the themes we already studied in Surah An-Nazi'at. In Surah An-Nazi'at, we found Musa salam making an offer to Fir'aun. Even Fir'aun. I mean, you, I mean, look at Fir'aun's track record. The guy kills babies. The guy is oppressing an entire nation, calling himself a god, etc., etc. And perhaps has multiple dialogues with Musa salam. Still, Musa salam is not judging what is inside of him and says, فَقُلْ هَلَّكَ إِلَىٰ أَن do you have any inclination inside of you left that you want to cleanse yourself? He's not passing judgment. So this same word tazakka, now in the third person occurs, وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ لَعَلَّهُ يَزَّكَّ You have no means at your disposal to find out, perhaps he was going to cleanse himself. Perhaps he already had an, in, an inclination inside of himself to become a better person. Really in, in contemporary English, that's how we would say purification. To try to become a better person. To recognize that there is some filth, some dirt, some immoralities inside of you, and you want to get rid of them. And for that motive, he came to you. Anhu. Now, with this, it means that this person, this, by the way, this is a, a prerequisite to seeking knowledge. Because in the next ayah, he gets a reminder, he learns something from the Messenger of Allah But Allah says first, 
He came to cleanse himself, to become a better person. So we learn from this deen, not just interesting information and dates and times and regions and, you know, and names and interesting facts, right? And which prophet was first and which was second and which was third and what chapter or what book is what quote in, et cetera, et cetera. This is all great information. But what's the bottom line? Why are we learning anything about the religion? To cleanse ourselves. This is why the Sahabi comes and in hopes that perhaps he may reach this cleansing. The other thing I should note, note here, inshallah, it's a, it's, a, it's a minor balaghi point, but yazzakka, yazzakka, you notice the shad on the za, originally actually the word is yatazakka, yatazakka, okay, from tazakkiyun, this is the mustar of it. And what happens in Arabic sometimes is idgham, the two letters that are close to each other, they get fused. Now in grammar you would say yazzakka and yatazakka mean the same thing, that's what you would say grammatically. But in the Quran, even there's their subtlety, there's subtlety, there's a difference. Actually, when something is partial or not full, then the fused me spelling yazzakka, yazzakkaru, okay? These kinds of words are used. When the context is complete, then the complete spelling structures are used. In other words, in one sitting or in one question, he's not going to attain complete purity. He's going to get something of purity. He's going to cleanse something of himself. Yatazakka would be more complete, like in one sitting, one halaqa, one question answered, and this becomes a better person altogether. But yazzakka is partial in meaning. At least some benefit this person would have gathered, radiallahu anhu. Or or he would have gotten some reminder for himself. Yadhakkaru. He would have gotten some reminder for himself. Fatanfa'ahu dhikra. And as a result, then if that would have happened, meaning if this person came with the intent of cleansing himself and taking a beneficial reminder, as a result, that reminder would have benefited him. Fatanfa'ahu dhikra. Now Allah doesn't say fatanfa'ahu tadhakkur. Or he says al-dhikra. Al-dhikra is considered an infinitive, a mustar. From dhakara, yadhkuru. But the normal infinitive is dhikrun. It's not dhikra. And this alif maksura at the end, that gives it mubalagha. What's, what in Arabic we say, dhikr is remembrance. Dhikra is powerful remembrance. Okay, so it's a, it's a powerful form of remembrance. What this illustrates is, whenever the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa speaks to someone, that that in itself is not just a reminder, it is a... Powerful reminder. It's a powerful reminder. So even if you addressed him a little bit, it would have been a powerful reminder for him. Now when the Messenger addresses, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, especially in Makkah Quran, this is essentially the Quran itself. So a dhikra, the powerful reminder that's being talked about here, is the Quran itself. And there, there is another word stronger than it that we'll see very, very soon, inshallah. But the idea here is that the Quran is meant to be a powerful reminder for the one who wants to get that reminder. So the first thing Allah does not mention but he says that he himself wanted to make an effort to remember and as a result this reminder would have been powerful for him. It would have had some benefit for him. Now on the other hand as for the one who has istighna the one who is heedless, carefree doesn't worry about anything. Istighna from, from ghani. You know ghani is someone who's so rich who's not worried about the bills. He's not worried about money. He's not worried about the house. He's not worried about you know, any, any expenses in life. You know, the people who live in complete luxury with no needs, no wants, they don't, they don't aspire to have anything. Whatever they want is already at their disposal. You know, these people have ghina. These people have ghina. Allah Azza wa Jal, one of his names is Al-Ghani. Al-Ghani. Because he's free of need. He doesn't need anything. So here, istighna. With the alif seen and time in the beginning, bab istifal, what this means is the person who thinks that they're free of need. The person who has an attitude that they don't need anything. They're apathetic about this information. And this is istighna, by the way, in this specific context, of course, the leaders of the Quraysh. 
are being talked about. So the messenger, does he know that they don't care? No. He doesn't know that. He, because he can't know if they have good in them or not, or any good in them or not. Musa didn't know for Fir'aun until the last minute, right? So he's going to give them da'wah, but Allah passes his fatwa on them. And Allah exposes them. And calls them, Amma man istaghna, The one who feels free of need. The one who doesn't really care. The one who's reckless in their attitude. And this is the person who perhaps wants to talk to you about Islam, not because they're looking for guidance, but because they like having philosophical discussions. And they like discussing whether God exists or not. These are philosophy clubs at, MS, you know, at campuses that MSA kids get tangled up with, right? They just want to talk for the sake of talking. Just run their mouth. Not, nothing's going to come at the end of it. Even if you were to give them the best possible arguments, they say, yeah, that's very interesting. Very nice, very nice. We'll talk tomorrow. It's all good. That's it's that, this attitude of istighna. We don't need this. We're just doing this kind of, you know, to pass the time kind of thing. So on the one hand, you have the Sahabi, radiallahu anhu, the two reasons for which he came, there was, you know, la'allahu yazzakka, that he may purify himself, make, may become a better person, may cleanse the, you know, the immoralities or the flaws he has on the inside. On, on the other, that he may take benefit of the reminder. So, you know, these are the two powerful reasons to come in the company of the Messenger, None of these exist with these leaders. The first thing Allah tells us, Amma man istaghna. As for the one who doesn't even care. He's just, he's free of need. He's very lax in his attitude. فَأَنْتَ لَهُ Then it is you who has tasadda. You know, you are the one who has, tasadda is also tatasadda, actually. Originally, there's a second that there. Okay, let's explore this word a little bit so we understand what Allah is saying about the Messenger There are a few things here. The word itself and the sentence structure here is very powerful. So let's first look at the word itself. <coughs> it comes from sad, dal, and ya. Sadyun. Also sada. Sada means an echo that bounces off a wall and comes back and you hear it over and over and over again. Right? This is a sada. Tasadda is to be relentless on something to go back to something over and over again, just like the echo comes back to your ear, over and over again. So what the Messenger is being told وسلم, is, you happen to go back to them over and over and over again, right? And meaning, they, they came to you, 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 they engaged in conversation, then this distraction came, but you went back over to them. So you did the sadda, you, went, you bounced back and echoed back towards them, echoing your concerns with them, you follow? So this is the word tasadda. But here, Allah didn't just say, fatasadda. He just said, he said, فَأَنْتَ لَهُ تَصَدَّى أَنْتَ makes this a jumla ismiyah. And the benefit of knowing that is not just grammatical nuance, the benefit of knowing that is, it is you who turns back over and over to them, indicating they don't turn to you. The أَنْتَ here, إِثْبَاتْ عَلَى غَيْرِ الْفَاعِلِ It tells us, other than the fa'il exists. So you're the one who keeps turning especially towards them, while they have what? istighna in the previous ayah. They don't care to turn towards you. They're very lax about this, and you're taking this very seriously. So it seems like, who has the upper hand? You know, it's, take the example of a salesman trying to sell something to someone who's not interested in the product. Who seems pathetic in this situation? It seems like the salesman is desperate, and the guy, the customer, can just walk away, yeah, that guy was kind of, you know, you seem this, giving them the upper hand. And this is very important to note, because Allah does not want it to seem like the Messenger of Allah does not have the upper hand. He does not want it to seem that he's desperate to give this Islam to them. He doesn't need them, no, no, nor does Allah need them, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah stops him from looking desperate. He stops him from looking towards them the way they don't look towards him. So he says, فَأَنْتَ لَهُ تَصَدَّى وَمَا عَلَيْكَ And there will be no fallback on you. 
There will be no consequences falling upon you. Ala is very comprehensive preposition. It has multiple meanings here. There will be no fallback, no consequences coming against you if they don't accept Islam, if this person doesn't purify himself. That's one. The other here is, it is not your obligation. You are not responsible. Ala, that this person does not cleanse himself. Who has to make that decision? This person is responsible for himself. You will not be cleaning them up. You can only inform them. In the previous surah, in the previous surah, إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ مُنْذِرُ مَنْ يَخْشَاهَا You are only a warner to one who, the one who fears it. It seems as though this opening passage of the surah is a tafsir of that one ayah. In that previous surah, Allah had said, you are only a warner to the one who fears it, fears that akhirah. Right? And so you have, وَهُوَ يَخْشَى It is the one who fears, who came to the Messenger and these people who don't fear. So now they're being put down. And here the other, here's the other amazing thing here, that Allah exposes these arrogant kuffar who may have been just pulling the leg of the Messenger may just tagging him along to keep him tied up in conversation, didn't really have any good intent of taking the da'wah in. Allah doesn't say, وَمَا عَلَيْكَ إِلَّا يَزَّكَّ in. in would have been harf al-shart. Well, it won't be any consequence of you, on you if this person doesn't purify himself. But Allah said that this person has not purified himself. In other words, he made it a statement of fact, not a statement of hypothetical situation. Okay? So in other words, Allah t lets the messenger know this person has no inclination of wanting to cleanse himself at all. This is the same dialogue that is now opening up that happened between Fir'aun and Musa in the previous surah. That same thing is opening up now here. What was Fir'aun's problem? You know, he turned away. He had istighna. He didn't, he didn't think he needed this message. He was self-sufficient. They're showing that same attitude again. So that wasn't just a story. It is being manifest in the situation of the Messenger. So, And as for the one who came to you, with such enthusiasm, ja'a, more enthusiasm than atta, yas'a, running, rushing. This word is very beautiful and powerful because it reminds us of something we read in the previous surah. In the previous surah, Allah Azza wa says about Fir'aun, He says, You know, Fir'aun would turn, in his, you can imagine in his quarters, in his private wing, when the da'wah of Musa is spreading, we talked about he's going back and forth, pacing. It's a pace faster than walking, but slower than running. He's pacing back and forth, right? Now that pacing was for, in, out of arrogance. That was a pacing as a consequence of arrogance. Here there's another pacing. He's pacing, rushing towards you, and this is the pacing of Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum radiallahu anhu. This is a pacing out of humility, out of fear of Allah. So on the other hand, there was no fear of Allah. Here there's fear of Allah. They're both pacing in opposite directions. Subhanallah. So here, وَأَمَّا مَنْ جَاءَكَ يَسْعَى وَهُوَ يَخْشَى And it is he, it is he who has khashya. He is the one who fears. Now Allah didn't just say, وَيَخْشَى And he fears. He said, وَهُوَ يَخْشَى it is he who fears. And when that happens, when this lamid, this pronoun is mentioned like this, what that illustrates is, Allah is telling us there's someone else who doesn't have khashia. It is he who has khashia, not the audience you're talking to. Forget them. There's no good coming to them. This is why again in the previous surah I remind you, إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ مُنْذِرُ مَنْ يَخْشَاهَا You are only to warn who? The one who has fear. So Allah says, by, by the language, by the sentence structure, He indicates the, the leaders of Quraysh had no fear. Similarly, when Fir'aun was being given da'wah by Musa in the previous surah, what did he say to him? I'll guide you to your Lord so that 
that perhaps you'll get khashiyah. You'll become a person of fear of something larger than yourself. Now Allah's Messenger is told, فَأَنْتَ عَنْهُ And it is you who is turning away from him. And the word turning away here needs more, more uh, elaborate explanation. Talaha comes from lahu. Lam, ha, and wa. Which is in easy English translated as entertainment. Lahwan aw tijaratan, like in Surah Al-Jum'ah, right? But lahu actually means, originally it means to be engaged in something that keeps you away from a more important task. So it's a relative term. When you're busy with something that took up your time and that time should have been used for something more important, that is lahu. So Allah says, in His case, you are engaged in talaha, meaning you are engaged in an activity which is not as important as He is. This is the case of Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, radiallahu anhu. That this, Allah is telling him, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu these leaders of Quraysh, Allah has looked inside their hearts, there's no khashiyah in them, they have istighna in their hearts, they have no, no indication, they have no indication or inclination of cleansing themselves, purifying themselves, don't waste your time with them, there's a far more important thing you need to do. If they had any hope, this would have been a more important case. We said originally in the earlier part of the session, we said if you're giving da'wah to a non-Muslim, and if there's hope, then it's a more better use of your time. But since Allah has already looked on the inside and exposed what is inside to the Messenger, there's no need to waste the time. فَأَنْتَ عَنْهُ كَلَّا No, 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 not at all. And kalla here is two things. Some consider this a zajra, a scolding. Meaning Allah is scolding the kuffar here. No, not you, get lost. He doesn't have to waste time with you. Kalla. Or he's telling the Messenger, no, no more. Don't waste your time with them anymore. Don't turn away from this Sahabi for them. They're not worth turning to. They're not worth turning to. Kalla. Another meaning of kalla in, in classical Arabic is haqqan. No doubt about it. That also is in the meaning of kalla. Innaha tadhkira. The damir ha here refers to dhikra, which from the previous ayah that is feminine. That that reminder actually happens to be an incredibly powerful means of delivering reminder. Now look at this sentence. The reminder is an amazing reminder. That reminder isn't just a reminder, it's a truly amazing reminder. What this means is that dhikra, that dhikra was some reminder the messenger was going to give to the sahabi Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum radiallahu anhu. That's dhikra. It's still a powerful word. But a much more powerful word is from Bab al-Taf'il, tadhkir, tadhkir. And a powerful version, a, a hyperbolized version of the word tadhkir is tadhkirah. That's the most powerful version. So Allah is saying that Qur'an isn't, not, isn't just that it's a powerful reminder, it is an incredibly powerful reminder. So much so there is no reminder more powerful than it. إِنَّهَا تَذْكِرَةً Now notice, the ha was feminine, referring back to the reminder, dhikra. But in the next ayah we say, فَمَنْ Then whoever wants, he may make mention, he may take some remembrance from it. That who is masculine, it's not ha anymore, it is. Who? That's referring to the entire Qur'an. There's a reference to that reminder first, it's a powerful reminder, then Allah alludes to it and calls it the entire Qur'an, connecting the two things together. Telling us, teaching us two things in between the lines, that the Qur'an is the most powerful means of delivering a reminder. We find this fused together in another ayah in the Qur'an. وَذَكِّرْ بِالْقُرْآنِ مَنْ يَخَافُ وَعِيدٌ Remind with the Qur'an, the one who fears my promise. Right? So this is, this is the two things have been put together. The most powerful reminder is the Qur'an. كَلَّا إِنَّهَا تَذْكِرَةً فَمَنْ شَاءَ ذَكَرَةً Whoever wants, they can make mention of it. You don't have to worry about who wants or who doesn't want. You deliver the message, you just warn them, and they will, they will be responsible whether they wanted to take it or not. Inshallah ta'ala, one more ayah and we, we uh, take a break for the salah. 
fi suhufim mukarrama. This reminder is in suhuf. Suhuf literally means scriptures. Lots of words are related to the word suhuf. It comes from sahifa, which is literally something spread out like paper that you're supposed to write on. In ancient language, it's also used for scrolls. So Allah speaks of the Quran in its original Allah al-Mahfuz, right? It's there. It's something so high. And these people are so low. So if they're not accepting it, you shouldn't be desperate to give it to them. This is far too high for them to show arrogance to. Fi suhufim mukarrama. It is from the most noble, most honored of the scrolls. So this is not something pathetic that you're, you're desperate for them to accept it, subhanAllah. So Allah shows the, the, He exalts the status of the ayat of the Qur'an, of the Qur'an itself, of the da'wah of Islam, far above showing desperation to the arrogant kuffar, that we beg or we, we, we plead to them that they should take this Islam. That, that attitude of dhillah, that attitude of powerlessness when you give da'wah, that should only be exacted towards the Muslims. Adhillatin ala al-mu'mineen. Right? Allah says. They're powerless when, they, when they're dealing with who? The believers. But we don't have dhillah when we deal with the kafirin. We don't have that. We don't show our powerlessness in our, in our da'wah. It's, it has integrity. It stands for itself. We'll take a break here. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. To download more lectures, learn more about our project, and to help support it, visit www.bayyina.com slash dream. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H slash dream. You are free to share these recordings with family and friends. Thank you and Jazakumullah Khairan for helping us make our dream a reality. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajim Kalla Innaha Tadhkirah Faman Shaa Dhakarah Fi Suhufim Mukarramah مرفوعة مطهرة بأيدي سفرة كرام بررة بسم الله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله ثم أما بعد we continue our study of Surah Abasa a couple of things that uh, left my mind that I should have mentioned before uh, I think we should make a note of them before we go any further uh, the first thing, kalla in that ayah, we said that tathkira is the strongest possible word for reminder. And it actually is a word that once tathkira is done for someone, they can't help but remember. But a key word to note is why does the Quran call itself a reminder? After all, a reminder as opposed to news or information or knowledge, knowledge is something new. But a reminder is something old. You already know and you're being reminded. So if the Qur'an is new revelation, why is it calling itself a reminder? This is understood in the larger sense of the word because all human beings, they made a covenant with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before they came on this earth. That Allah azza wa is their Lord. Allah azza wa asked us, and this is recorded in Surah Al-A'raf, Alastu bi rabbikum? Am I not your Lord? Qalu bala shahidna. We bore witness, of course, why not? And so this is something we are predisposed to, the fitrah of the human being. We are pre-programmed to believe in Allah Azza wa Jal, to seek guidance from Him. This is, this is part of our, our nature. And we forget our nature, like the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the hadith of Al-Fitrah, you know, Kullu Mawludin Yuladu Ala Al-Fitrah, that we find also in uh, the Arba'in Al-Nawawi, the 40 hadith of Imam Al-Nawawi, every newborn is born on a predisposed fitrah. 
Allah calls it fitra, fitrat Allah allati fatra nasa alayha. Right, the predisposed nature that Allah, you know, programmed or fashioned people into. Now this, this fitra, basically the messenger tells us sallallahu alayhi wasallam that over the course of the age, or over your, because of your culture, your religion, the religion of your family, they make him Jews or they make him Christians or they make him, you know, Magians or whatever. Then these religions, all of them, people force those on you because of their part of your heritage. But in your fitra, what is there? Islam. That is submission to Allah. So the Quran is calling back to your fitra. It is reminding you of something that's already deep inside your heart. That's why it's called tafkira. Now, who will benefit from the tafkira? Who have something for their, from their fitra left. Imagine there's a little bit of light left inside you. The light of the Quran comes. These two lights come into contact with each other. This is called nurun ala nur. Light upon light. But these people that were just described, they had no light. Allah said they have no inclination of cleansing themselves. They, are, they feel themselves free of need. They don't feel like they need a Lord, right? So they have no inclination of cleansing themselves. So if this most powerful of reminders has no benefit on them, then they're useless. Don't worry about them. Because there's nothing short in this message. You know, when you try to convince someone of something and they don't believe you, they don't take it from you, you figure maybe there was something missing in my speech. Maybe there's something I said that could have been said better. Or if I had a better message, they would have believed me. But Allah says, He gives the messenger confidence. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Don't even think like that. Don't think that there's something in your message that's missing. This is tadhkira after all. This is the most powerful, possible powerful reminder there can be. So if, the, if one doesn't take advantage of it, it is nothing in you, it is in them. Whoever wants, they will make mention from it. They will take advantage of this reminder and internalize it. Now Allah Azza wa mentions the elevated status. Why is it so powerful? Where does it come from? Why is it, you know, not even human form of tadhkira? Now it's not even the, the, the reminder that a human being can give to another. This is divine reminder. Fi suhufim mukarrama. In these scrolls that are noble or, or uh, you know, uh, glorified, honored, mukarrama, from takrim in the Arabic language. Marfu'atin, they're elevated, mutahara, that are purified. These, these are all adjectives of these scrolls that are with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Most scholars comment this is lawhun mahfuz, where the revelations are protected. So th- in other words, already the kuffar are being told, because the kuffar are listening to this too. Remember, this Makki Qur'an is da'wah to the kuffar also. They're listening too. So what they're learning is, the fact that you get to listen so- to something from this you know, sacred, classified document in the highest, highest place, the most secure of places, the fact that you are being honored, that you get to listen to it, it should be enough for you to come. But if even this doesn't have an effect on you, what else is going to have an effect on you? So this is actually a means of elevating the message and belittling the kuffar. Remember before we said, when they take the message so casually and the messenger وسلم, is so serious about giving it to them, it seems like they have the upper hand. Now Allah is giving the message of Islam and the messenger of Allah sallallahu the upper hand. Bi safara. It is at the disposal of, in the hands of a safara. Safara is an interesting word in the Arabic language. It means scribes. It means to, uh, sifr actually means a book that unveils things. So these are the safara, the scribes that take record from the Qur'an or from the Mullah al-Mahfuz and then unveil it to the messengers alayhim This is one interpretation of it. Some scholars commented this is all those who record the Qur'an, meaning the manuscripts of the Sahaba. They become safara. The manuscripts of the prophets like Suhuf Ibrahim wa Musa that's recorded in the Qur'an. These are also safara. But the majority opinion is that this is the angels and it's supported in the language also because of the next words. Kiramin barara. Barara is the giveaway. The word barara is the plural of bar. Bar. Without an alif in the middle. 
And it's another plural of a word, bar, with an alif in the middle. Now, bar means goodness and means someone extremely good. It is the hyperbolized form of goodness. I mean, someone extremely good is bar. And then bar is someone good, but it's not as powerful as the word bar. Okay? Now, the thing is, the plural of bar, good person, is abrar. وَتَوَفَّنَا مَعَ الْأَبْرَارِ That's the normal, ex, you know, expected plural of bar. But a more powerful plural is barara, what is used here. One linguistic opinion is barara is jam'u kathra and abrar is jam'u qilla. What that means is barara is multitudes in plural and abrar is not as powerful a plural. And that would be applicable to the angels because the righteous of the human beings are far less than the righteous of the angels, because they're all righteous. So kiram and barara, they're entirely righteous. The, mul the vast multitudes of them are righteous. And of course, because barra is a stronger word, it's, uh, uh, it's a pine that this is the reason that this is referring to the angels, wallahu ta'ala alam. That is the majority opinion though, that these are the most noble and the most righteous of the angels. So the people who get to handle this revelation or the entities that get to handle this revelation, first of all, this is very high. It's very noble. It's elevated. It's purified. It's cleansed. Then on top of this, it's the highest ranked of the angels that get to the scribes of the angels, and they are the most noble, barara. This is that same message that you are getting to hear, you people of Quraysh, you're getting to hear this. So if you don't take from it, it's your loss, nobody else's. The messenger shouldn't feel, sallallahu alayhi wa even an inkling of grief over you. This is why Allah Azza wa constantly, constantly, constantly would remind his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, فَلَعَلَّكَ بَاخِعُ النَّفْسَكَ are you going to kill yourself with grief? Are you going to overrun yourself with grief? Because if they don't become Muslim, you know, if they don't turn into Islam, turn to Islam, are you going to kill yourself over grief? The Messenger can't help himself but feel that grief because in the introduction of this surah, we said he has the weight of the world on his shoulders. Allah is always subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly lightening his burden. But still, it's still the weight of the world. It's still very, very heavy on the Messenger. It is out of this concern that even with the munafiqoon, when Allah Azza wa said, "In lahum maratan lahum," even for the hypocrites, when Allah said, "Even if you ask Allah to forgive seventy times, Allah will not forgive them," the messenger said, "I will ask more than seventy then." Subhanallah. Like it's that concern for humanity that he had, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Now turn to the next subject matter. This was these were the few. Pa the small passage elevating the status of revelation Giving the upper hand to the message itself Now come back to the matter of the human being This is a way of very sharp critique And very sharp scolding in the Arabic language May the human being be killed May he be destroyed is, you know, It's in the past tense And it's passive Literally means the human being was killed What that implies is May the human being be killed or the human being has destroyed himself. Ma akfara. How incredible his disbelief. How amazing his capacity to deny. Ma akfara is, this is usluba ta'ajjub. This is a format used in the Arabic language to express shock and amazement and anger at something. So Allah is saying, how awesome his kufr. How amazing his disbelief. How, incredibly he ha how incredible his capacity to disbelief. Another way that it's been interpreted that's a lesser opinion because the language is very strong here is that mahir is maf'ul bihi. What led him to disbelieve like this? What made him disbelieve in this way? Okay, so that's another way. Ma'masula, it's, it's been turned into actually, not maf'ul bihi, masula, it's been turned into. But the majority opinion is the first, at ta'ajjub, the asluba ta'ajjub. What, what amazing thing, what was it that turned him into this disbelief? So two things in one ayah. He's been destroyed, the human being has destroyed himself, 
with his relentless and incredible disbelief, his disregard, his ingratitude. Now if you turn to the previous surah, Allah Azza wa Jal showed us how horrible his disbelief can get. With whose example? You remember? فَكَذَّبَ وَعَصَى ثُمَّ أَدْبَرَ يَسْعَى فَحَشَرَ فَنَادَى فَقَالَ أَنَا رَبُّكُمُ الْأَعْلَى Allah gave the worst possible example of kufr with Fir'aun. And in the next surah, he's speaking of the entire race of human beings who, who can follow that legacy of Fir'aun in denying the truth when it comes to them. And in that, subhanAllah, look at the contrast and the beautiful comparison between a Nazi'at and Abasa that are paired together in this way. In a Nazi'at, Allah says, Musa alayhi salam showed him the most beautiful, the most powerful of signs. فَأَرَاهُ الْآيَةَ الْكُبْرَى He showed him the enormity, the enormous sign he showed him. And still he lied against it. He still he did kufr. How amazing is kufr? He could see that and still do kufr, right? In this surah, what has Allah showed them? He had showed them at-tadkirah bi-aydi safara kiramin barara. He showed them that amazing reminder and he still does kufr. So there there was the, the, the staff of Musa salam. Here there's the Qur'an. And yet in face of both, the human being, look at him, he's destroyed himself. How amazing his capacity to still disbelieve. And in that surah, his, remember his disbelief had to do with arrogance. It had to do with arrogance. Here again Allah brings back the subject of arrogance. Who does he think he is? Min ayyi shay'in khalaqah, the next ayah. From what exactly does he think he was made out of? From what thing, from what material was he created? So now the human being says, what does that mean? Min nutfatin khalaqahu faqaddara. From a, from a dirty fluid, from that, from that filthy fluid that people wash off of their clothes, that are embarrassed by it. That fluid, that from that Allah Azza wa Jalla says, min It is only out of that khalaqahu, He created him, faqaddarahu. Taqdeer in the Arabic language is a very powerful word. Uh, a word that is interestingly uh, related to it is kharasa. Kharasa means to make a wild projection, like we do in the stock market in this country, right? To make a wild projection, okay? Or in the real estate, it's going to go up, it's going to go down. You basically, you go, you know, you wouldn't believe this. I used to go to business school in New York City, right? And um, in Midtown Manhattan, some of, the, some of the most, like, priciest real estate, like some of the top, the top Wall Street, uh, you know, uh, uh, broker, brokerage firms downtown, these high, high buildings. I mean, a small studio would cost you like $9,000, $10,000 in rent. Like, we're talking about like 400 square feet or something, right? And at the first floor of all of these buildings, psychic palm readers. Wallahi, and 55th Street and Madison Avenue, Park Avenue. I mean, these are the most expensive real estate in the world almost, right? And these psychic readers can afford themselves. You know why? Because these multi-million dollar executives, before they go make their merger deals or put their money in this stock or that, that stock, you know what they do? They go to the psychic reader, man. What, what color tie should I wear to the meeting? Or should my socks match my shoes or not? Or whatever. This is how superstitious they are. This is, this is kharasa, khars, right? To make wild projections. But then there's taqdeer. Taqdeer is to make a projection based on extremely precise calculation. And Allah Azza wa says about the human being, he took this, clot, this, this fluid and then he made taqdeer. How tall are you going to be? What color is your skin going to be? Are you going to have both eyes that work or not? What tongue are you going to, what language are you going to speak? How smart are you going to be? What part of your brain are you going to use? How long are you going to live? What are you going to eat? When are you going to eat it? What diseases are you going to have? When are, you going to, are you going to be cured of them or not? Who are your parents going to be? Who are your children going to be? What job will you have? What job will you use? What business will you run? What business will fail? All of it precisely calculated when you were this, when you were nothing. مِن نُطْفَةٍ خَلَقَهُ فَقَدَّرَهُ he calculated his entire legacy. Put it all precise calculation. Subhanallah. This is part of our aqidah taqdeer. So Allah Azza wa says to this, this kafir, you've destroyed yourself. How amazing you can disbelieve. Look at where you came from. 
How pathetic your creation is, how I'm completely in charge of your creation and you can still be so obnoxious, so oblivious to all of this and still have the capacity to disbelieve. Look at this in contrast to Surah Al-Nazi'at. There Allah put the human being in his place too. There he said, Are you tougher in creation? Or is the sky that we constructed? So we were put in our place by comparing us to the sky. Now we're being put in our place by reminding us where we came from. From that nutfa. Subhanallah. In both of them, Allah puts the arrogance of the human being down in two different ways. Then here he says, It is especially in the path, that path that the human being, that Allah facilitated for the human being. He made it easy for him. Ulama comment that this sabil is the, the, the passage of the, the child coming out of the womb of the mother. Did you open that roadway for yourself? Allah Azza wa Jal opened this path for you so that you can come in this world. How pathetic you are, you couldn't even go down this path yourself. Allah made that easy for you. Then the scholars comment, in addition, this sabil, this path that Allah opened, it's talking also about this guidance. That Allah made the path to guidance so easy for you. He gave, you gave, he gave you access to the messengers, the clearest revelations, the most powerful of reminder. He put the predisposed fitrah inside of you. There are so many ingredients all around you leading you to that right direction, the guidance. So much has been facilitated for you. How amazing your disbelief. How incredible your capacity to still kick all of this to the curb and move on with your life like it's not even there. ثُمَّ السَّبِيلَ يَسَّرَ Then Allah Azza wa Jalla says, ثُمَّ أَمَاتَهُ Then, after making that path easy for him, path into the world easy, path to guidance easy, that growth of one stage to the next in his life, all that easy for him. Then after this, ثُمَّ أَمَاتَهُ Then he caused him to die. You're not in control of your death either. You think you're in control of your life? You're not even in control of your death. فَأَقْبَرَهُ Then he made sure he ends up into the grave. He, put, he had him placed in the grave. فَأَقْبَرَهُ After he died. Now, qabr in Arabic is to be entered into the earth. So whether you're cremated and your ashes are, are scattered in the, you know, in the ocean, or you're, you, know, you want to feed yourself to the sharks or whatever you want to do, in the end, all creatures will decay. And where will that decay go? Into the earth. It will be entered into the earth. فَأَقْبَرَهُ Whether you have a proper grave or not, whether it's concrete or whatever, in the end you will be part of, you will be reduced back to this earth. So you came from something pathetic, nutfa, and you will be reduced to something that you wash from your clothes, dirt. فَأَقْبَرَهُ Allah puts the human being in his place, subhanAllah. And then he says, ثُمَّ إِذَا شَاءَ Thereafter, much after this, when, when he's even gone in his grave, then there what's going to happen? Whenever he wants, إِذَا شَاءَ Not شِئْتُمْ Not when you want, when he wants. أَنْشَرَهُ He, and this is in the fi'l madhi for, for tawkeed, and for, for emphasis, or, or for actually, uh, what's the word? Conviction, right? Or certainty actually, certainty is the right word. ثُمَّ إِذَا شَاءَ أَنْشَرَهُ Whenever he wants, he will raise him right back up all of a sudden. إِذَا here, for immediacy. Immediately he will raise him back up, no process necessary. You see, for our growth, from a baby to an adult, there's a process. But in our resurrection, is there a process for us to grow back out? No, it's immediate. One shot. ثُمَّ إِذَا شَاءَ أَنْشَرَهُ So the, all of this that he took time to do for you, and if you better get your act together because the time's coming, coming when you're decayed completely, he'll resurrect you back up again. In the Arabic, especially in the Quran at least, for resurrection there are three words used. Ahya, to take something dead and bring it back to life. Ba'atha has two things in it, to raise something and to send something forward. So it, it not just means that Allah will raise us, but he will gather us and send us forward towards this, the place we are supposed to meet. Nashara literally means to spread. Uh, like Dashar al-Mayyitu Nushuran is a phrase in the Arabic, right? That the, 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 the corpse has been dispersed. 
meaning its decays, its, its remains are spread into the land, right? They, they, they don't remain intact, they spread out, right? Allah says He will raise you and then spread you out, meaning all human beings will spread out and eventually gather into that land, into that field, hashar, where we're supposed to gather, subhanAllah. So, ثُمَّ إِذَا شَاءَ أَنْشَرَهُ Then Allah Azza wa Jal again says, Kalla, Kalla. No, not at all. And it's certainly true what Allah is about to say. He has not yet done justice. He has not yet fulfilled. Qada in Arabic is to do a responsibility and to be doing it in a way that you are no longer responsible. You're done with it. Okay? You had to deliver this one thing one time, you did it, your job is done. You're no longer held responsible. This is qada. Okay? So Allah says the human being did not fulfill his duty up until now. Meaning, humanity has been on this earth for so long and all this time uh, it, for the human being to get his act together up until now, lamma, not lam, but lamma, not yet. And has taraji, still there's hope for you. Just in the word lamma, there's still hope for you. That what he was commanded to do, he did not. He, what he, what he, his Lord commanded him, amarahu, what he, meaning Allah commanded him, he did not yet fulfill. Still yet, after all of these facilitations, after all of these reminders, he still hasn't gotten his act together. SubhanAllah, it's a very powerful reminder towards the end of this surah. After hearing all of this, there's still hope for you. You haven't done it yet, but there's still hope for you. So Allah Azza wa Jal, in again, positive reinforcement. If this, all of this reminder isn't enough, let me give you something more that will put, it, put this benefit, this, this, me, this message over the top. فَالْيَنظُرِ الْإِنسَانِ إِلَىٰ طَعَامِهِ then let the human being look, look carefully and stare at his food. Stare, literally stare and look and, and observe his food carefully. Stare at the food on your plate and stare, just think about it. Just stare at it. Why is Allah wanting you to stare at it? To remind you that you have responsibilities. The human being did not fulfill. He did not fulfill the obligations due to him that Allah had commanded him with. Let him take a look at his own food. Now what does he mean by that? Look at, look at the things Allah is going to mention now. By the way, ta'am in Arabic as opposed to akl. Akl is any kind of food. Ta'am is food more particular for human beings. So you're looking at this orange or this grape on your plate that you bought from the grocery store. Allah says he poured water down, abundant pouring. Sab is actually literally to take a bucket and pour it over somebody. right? So Allah pours buckets of rain. Right? It's it, even in, in English expression, right? Allah pours heavy, heavy, heavy rain. That we pour rain, water upon water upon water. It is we who send that water down. Shak in Arabic is to cut open something or to rip open something that isn't. You don't think of cutting or ripping open certain things. When you, when you cut those kinds of things open, then shak is used. For example, in the Quran, Allah uses shak for the, for the sky. You don't think of cutting open with the sky. Allah uses inshiqaq for, for rocks because you don't think of cutting a rock open, right? Or the earth being cut open. And so these are grand things that you don't necessarily, you think paper, cloth, right? These are, or skin, cutting open. These are the things you expect to cut open. But Allah says He cuts the earth open. He tears it open. Once again, look how this is tied back to the previous surah. There Allah alluded to something. In the previous surah, in Al-Nazi'at, He said, وَالْأَرْضَ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ دَحَاهَا he alluded to it that he smoothed the earth out for you. He, you know, and then after this, he brought out from it the pastures, right? He brought out the water of it and the pastures of it. Now he's being more explicit. He's taking those ayat. It's like those ayat. The tafsir of them is coming here in the next surah. 
right? So he said, ثُمَّ شَقَقْنَا الْأَرْضَ شَقَّةً فَأَنْبَتْنَا فِيهَا حَبَّةً when, when, when we cracked it open, when we ripped it open, we sprouted in it. And we allowed the growth of حَبَّةً, grain. In bat actually is to ensure the growth of something meticulously. And this also used for a child that is being raised that matures quickly. فَأَنْبَتَهَا نَبَاتًا حَسَنًا so it's used for, for example, Maryam salamun alayha, same word is used. Just like you take care of a plant and ensure its growth, and if you do so, it grows quickly, her maturity came quickly. So the word imbat is used for her. Now notice the most important vegetations are mentioned first, hab, grain. That's the source food, basically. Okay? And all kinds of grain are included. Actually, what's interesting is in the old, in old English, corn was, actually, the word corn was used for grain. In Old English, it was used for grain. So some of the older translations of hub say corn, but they don't actually mean corn like what we eat corn now. They mean grain from Old English. So it needs to be updated to grain. Anyhow, وَعِنَبًا وَقَضْبًا عِنَب is actually grapes. قَضْب is all kinds, of green, uh, all kinds of vegetations. So, you know, carrots, cucumbers, etc., etc. Mostly vegetations that grow under the earth come under qadb. So that the animals eat the top part of it, the green, the leaves, etc. of it, and the human beings enjoy the part of it that is underneath the ground. So wa'inaban wa qabban. And then on top of this, something that the Arabs were all too familiar with. Zaytun is the olive. And and nakhl is the date. The date. These are luxuries. This is the most the, you know, so it's it's moving from essentials to more luxurious and exotic kinds of foods. And then wa speaking of exotics, hada'iq. You know, well-guarded, completely covered up gardens. Ghulba that are thick. The trees of them are very, very thick. It's the plural of aglab. It's the jama' of aglab, ghulb. And this is an adjective that occurs. Hada'iqa doesn't have tanween on it. You notice hada'iqan is not there. Hada'iqa is there. The reason that is there because some jama' taksir, some broken plurals, especially to make it easy, the ones that have alif in them, you cannot put tanween on them. You can only put fatha on them. But ghulban doesn't have that problem. Anyhow, wahada'iqa ghulba. And gardens in which the trees are thick, the barks of them are thick, and their branches are intertwined, so really lush kinds of gardens. Wafakihatan. Fakiha is used in Arabic for delicious fruit. Ancient Arabic uses it for delicious fruit. Fakiha uh, in Arabic means to be overjoyed. And literally, for the Arab, when he eats delicious fruit, what happens? Ah, tastes good, you know. Even happens now. You eat a good orange, a good apple, a smile on your face, right? So that's why they're called fawakih. Or fakiha. And fakihin also used for people in Jannah. They'll be overjoyed. Everything that, every time they take a bite of something, there's a big smile on their face. So fakihina bima atahum rabbuhum. Right? Anyway, fakiha. Also, some scholars comment that fakiha excludes dates, pomegranate, and grapes. Uh, that it excludes certain things, but it's mostly uh, used for others. And that might explain why aynaban wa qadban and others are mentioned earlier too. Wa abba. Ab is used for grass. Typically, grass, pasture. Uh, and most general kinds of vegetation that all animals enjoy. So of all of these things, the most particular for animals is one. Which one? Abba. Abba is the one most particular for animals. Most of what has been mentioned is for human beings. Now you will find other places, very interesting in the Quran, Quran is very, very, very subtle in how it addresses things, even at the minutest level. Here, because the priority was given to human food or animal food? Human food. Other places you will find zar'an mentioned. Zar'an is animal food, crop. Animal food first, okay? Where animal food is mentioned, Allah will mention, when He mentions mata, He'll mention the animal first and us second. Here, the priority is us. He says, mata alakum wali anamikum. It is provision, things to use for you 
and also for your cattle. So the cattle have been put in a secondary position because the passage preceding puts them their food in a secondary position. And that's part of the intricacy of the Quran. Now you can think of that kind of intricacy when you're speaking or when you're writing something. You can say, oh, I should rearrange this and make it more fit with the paragraph before. But the Quran is not written first. It is revealed to us in what? In speech. In speech. This is in, in itself another indication that this is not the word of a human being. Human beings cannot think, in my, in my sentence, I should organize this A and B and C because in the previous paragraph I had something related to A first and something related to B second and something related to C third. We can't think at that level when we speak our sentences. We can't. But Allah Azza wa Jal executes this kind of intricacy in, in His words, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mata'allakum wali an'amikum. So now, previous passage was a threat to the human being. Negative reinforcement. How dare you disbelieve? You're going to be ending up in your graves. You still disbelieve. All this path is. So it was a scolding from Allah. But then at the end, towards the end, Allah, when Allah Azza wa Jal said, Kalla, lamma yaqdi ma amara. He didn't yet do justice. He didn't yet fulfill His responsibility. In other words, there's kind of hope. When there's mention of hope, there's positive reinforcement. So notice, think about your food, pay attention to your, you know, all these things that you enjoy, that these are provisions for you and your animals. So your gratitude should lead you to Islam. Not just your reflection over the revelation, not just on your own self, even just your gratitude over the food you enjoy should lead you to Islam. A second line of argument has been introduced, subhanAllah. Then finally, if, even if this is not enough, now you need to know, why should you become grateful in the end? The indar. So there's... There's different kinds of warning, but the final warning is coming now. فَإِذَا جَاءَتِ Another parallel with the previous surah. In the previous surah we read, فَإِذَا جَاءَتِ الْكُبْرَى And I'll tell you why Al-Kubra was used there. Some of the beauties and intricacies that I didn't tell you then, I, I plan to tell you this time. You see, in that surah, Fir'aun said, أَنَا رَبُّكُمْ الْأَعْلَى He had kibr. He had kibr. How did Allah destroy him? Allah surrounded him with water. Allah gave him a tamma. Tamma is a kind of destruction, a calamity that surrounds you from all sides. But in, in retrospect, that calamity is nothing. There's another calamity that's coming that's going to surround people from all sides. It's even bigger than that. So he says, tamma al-kubra, in that context. Here, the, past, the surah began with a discussion of people that are arrogant, that take the message casually, that listen but don't listen. Basically, they listen but they don't listen. And then there's the one who really wants to listen. Right? Now Allah Azza wa concludes this surah with a threat. فَإِذَا جَاءَتِ When that scream comes, a sakha is a loud sound or a scream that is so loud that whoever comes into contact with it, whoever's ears it falls upon, they turn deaf. They, it's a deafening kind of loud scream. So you can avoid the sounds now of warning. You can avoid the message now, but a sakha is coming and you're not going to be able to avoid that. So it's, a, it's sort of a poetic tying together of how the surah began, subhanAllah. فَإِذَا جَاءَتِ الصَّاخَةِ يَوْمَ يَفِرُّ الْمَرْءُ مِنْ أَخِيهِ The day on which a, a, a man, mar is used for a man, and we'll talk about the difference between mar and rajul in a sec, inshallah, the man will escape or run away from. Now there are different words for running in Arabic. Rahaba, you know, abaqa, farra. Farra is used when you run away from something that terrifies you. Farra is used when you run away from something that terrifies you. So if you were go, just going down the street, there's a wild dog drooling, you know, and it's, it's coming at you. When you, do, when you run this time, this is farra. When you're jogging, this is not firar. Okay? When you're running from, a, from the spears of the enemy, this is firar. Okay? Now, yawma yafirrul mar'u. The human being will run in terror. Terrified running. From who? Min akhihi, from his own brother. 
He'll see his brother. He'll be terrified of his brother and run. Now, when you're terrified of someone, where do you find protection? With your brother, with your mother, with your father, with your family. In other words, you run from danger to these people. Allah is flipping their scenario and saying the day on which the human being will run away from his own run in terror from his brother subhanallah why is this number one your brother or your family some scholars comment it's very very powerful the family is the one you stay in contact with the most human beings deal with each other who do they deal with the most their own family and when you deal with someone more you have the chances of violating their rights more and more and more because you deal with them more so it's easier for me to be nice to someone I've never met Hard for me to be nice to my cousin because whenever we talk, whenever we get together at Eid, we get into a fight. Whenever my mother calls, my dad calls, he says something, I, blow, I lose my cool, we get into it, right? So people violating each other's rights, where does that happen more? In the family. It happens more in the family. Husband violates the rights of the wife, the rights of the child, the rights of the parents, the rights of the brother. So when he sees one of them on the day of judgment, are they going to say, oh, what's, you're my brother, it's all good, it's family, let it go, it's all No, nobody cares. All relationships will be cut off on that day. Nobody cares about anybody else but who? Themselves. Right? Allah describes the terror of that day. Every breastfeeding mother will drop whatever she used to feed. Allah didn't even say baby. He said whatever she used to feed, as though she doesn't even know what that is anymore. Right? Not, not even that. Subhanallah. That's how powerful that day is. So when he sees his brother, he says, oh my God, I violated his rights. And I, I, I don't need to be dealing with him right now. And he's making firat. And now he runs from him. Who's the next thing he's running from? His mother. He's running away from his mother. He's running away from his father. And the other thing to run away from, the, the brother might say, you're my brother, give me some of your good deeds, man. You know, we're from the same mother. The mother might say, I, I gave you birth, give me some of your deeds. The father might say, I provided for you, I paid for your college education. Let me have some of your salawat. Let me have some of your prayers. But no, he's running from them. And then, وَصَاحِبَتِهِ And his own wife. They shared a bed for many, many decades. And now he's running from her like he's terrified of her. SubhanAllah. وَبَنِيهِ And this child that he used to protect, this child that he would never lose his sight of. The pictures he would put in his office right next to his computer. Can't let go of the sight of this child. On this phone, little pictures of the kid. Right? This is my son. Pictures of the wedding of your son. Pictures of your grandkids. What people love the most when parents are separated from children? Guess what they want the most? They look forward to the time where they get to visit their children. This is what they live for, basically. To get to see their children. They, they die inside when they're not with their children. And here's the day when the parent is running away from his own child. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. The irony of this day, how everything's been turned around. Imagine this, subhanallah, in our time, when there's a loss of family, especially if husband and marry, wife are married for a long time, and the husband passes away, or the wife passes away. Look at the kind of you know, trauma that the husband or the wife go through, the loneliness, the sadness that they have. right? And you know, in, in Christian... Uh, uh, discourse, it's become common, even Muslims think, start thinking like this, oh, I'm going to see them in heaven. Right? They, they have this whole thing, oh, they're up in heaven, they're waiting for me, and we're going to be together. Before heaven, let's worry about the day of judgment first. And on the day of judgment, you're not going to be holding hands saying, let's go through this together. You'll be running from each other. Subhanallah. The, the picture Allah paints, it's so graphic, it's so powerful. So Allah is reminding, you know, in the beginning there was istighna, I don't care. There was this lax attitude about this message. Ah, nice speech, thanks. 
right? But at the end, Allah is basically reminding the people why this is so critical. This is not a joking matter. This is not something to take lightly. This is not intellectual exercise. This is a serious, serious matter. So serious, when you realize that, you know, what the, the consequences of that day are, you'll be running from everyone you loved. People you used to run towards, you'll be running away from. Now here's the thing. The parallel of this in the previous surah. Subhanallah. Allah Azza wa Jal there He said, فَإِذَا جَاءَتِ الطَّامَّةُ الْكُبْرَاءِ يَوْمَ يَتَذَكَّرُ الْإِنسَانُ مَا سَعَى That day the human being will remember entirely everything he worked towards. All the efforts he made, he will remember them in full. So when he remembers everything he did, he will not care about anybody else but his problems. That will lead him to run from others. Here we find, لِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مِّنْهُمْ يَوْمَ إِذِنْ شَأْنٌ يُغْنِيهِ This is a difficult i'rab. لِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مِّنْهُمْ is actually the khabr or متعلق بالخبر. شَأْنٌ يُغْنِيهِ is the mubtada. It's later on. The subject predicate has been shuffled. And يَوْمَ إِذِنْ is here ظرف. It's the, <laughs> I know it's grammatical, but some of you inshallah will learn grammar and this will benefit you one day. <laughs> Insha'Allah ta'ala. Okay. So, yawma idhin is darf. It is the, uh, related to the sentence. The shuffle of this means even the, for every last person, I didn't give you the meaning of mar. Im al mar'u, right? Yawma yafirrul mar'u, and then imru'un here, likul limri'in. This word is the same. What this word, as opposed to rajul, rajul means a man, uh, where, where manhood or bravery is highlighted. Imru'un comes from muru'a, chivalry. Selflessness, nobility of a man, where he's willing to give up part of himself for others. Ma'am, let me get those bags for you. Let me help you cross the street, right? Let me carry the, 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 the furniture, not you. You stay back, right? When men do that, they're, exp that they're expressing their muru'a. Allah says, this mar, who was so chivalrous and so noble and dignified, what's he doing on that day? From every one of them, what's he going to do? Yawma idhin sha'nun yughnihi. On that day, there will be a sha'n. Sha'an is an, as an issue, a matter, an affair that is very, very important, that's very important for you and it's appropriate to you. For example, this word sha'an is used for Allah Himself. Right? It's used for Allah. Every day He is involved in an important task, in some kind of important and befitting, befitting task. Allah says, on that day, every single person will be involved in such an important task. What is that task? Remembering what they worked towards in the previous surah. Right? They will be so involved in that task, that task will have the effect yughnihi. And this is again beautifully contrasting istagna, amma man istagna in the beginning, same root, yughnihi. Yughnihi means something that is so important and it makes you so obsessed with what you're doing, it makes you forget and not worry about anything else. You're, you know, some of you are programmers, you've got a deadline tomorrow, and you've got like 20 pages of code to write. You're sitting there writing, 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 your child comes and says, look at my artwork. Dad, I drew this. You care? Yeah, 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 beautiful. You know? The wife says, dinner's ready. Yeah, okay. Four hours go by, you didn't need dinner. Because you have igna. You, everything else, you're not worried about right now. Everything becomes unimportant when this is important. Allah says on that day, people will be so engaged in an important matter that everything else will become unimportant. How is this a contrast from the beginning? In the beginning, we saw the attitude of the kafir, who to him, this message is unimportant, everything else is more important. That's why he has istighna, amma man istighna. Subhanallah, on that day, he will not have istighna. On that day, he will have an, a, a, something to deal with that will make him uh, have igna of everything, it will make igna for everything else for him. It will make him unconcerned about everything else. Some faces 
especially on that day, they will be lit up as though a smile was hiding inside a veil and it's been unveiled. Safara, safara is actually in the Arabic language to unveil, unveil. And you know, here we read, you know, bi'aydi safaratin kiramin bara, same root, same root. Because books, large books are called safar because they unveil knowledge. That's why they're called safar, okay? Sifr, also a book that unveils important information. Safir, you know what safir is? Anybody know what safir is? It's an ambassador. It's an ambassador. Why? He's called Safir because he unveils the intent of his king or his country. He unveils. He, he releases, divulges information. Unveiling. Safar is also travel, right? It's called travel. Safar, travel is called Safar because it unveils new territories and new lands for you, right? So Allah Azza wa describes a believer basically implying here that he lived a life maybe of difficulty. Okay? لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي Allah created the human being in toil and hard work. And the believers, you know, Allah says about the believers, زُيِّنَ لِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا الْحَيَاةُ الدُّنْيَا وَيَسْخَرُونَ مِنَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا You know, for, uh, for those who disbelieve worldly life, this worldly life was beautified. And they poke fun at those who believe. So they have, they hear difficult things. Even the Messenger of Allah, وَلَقَدْ نَعْلَمُ أَنَّهُ يَضِيقُ صَدْرُكَ You know, we know that your chest becomes tight بِمَا يَقُولُونَ because of the things they say. So even the messenger's feelings are hurt, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Even though we know most of the time he was smiling, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, right? But you have this difficult life of a believer, as though their smile has been unveiled, has been veiled. Allah says, some faces on day, that day will be unveiled, and the brightness and the smiles will be revealed. Meaning, now they have all the reasons to smile. There's no no problems left anymore. Wujuhun yoma idin musfirah. Allahumma jalla minhum. May Allah make us from them. Dahikatun. Not just lit. Not just full of light. Dahikatun. Dahika means laughing, uncontrollable laughter. You know there's smiling, tabassama in Arabic, tabassama is to smile. Dahika is to, when your teeth show and you can't even help it and there's a, there's a noise with your, with your laughter. That's the kind of laugh some faces will have on them. Now if you notice the previous surah was a description of the hearts. There was a description of hearts. Now, and then the eyes. This surah, description of faces. So it's complementing. What's going on on the inside and what's going on on the outside, the appearance. It's complementing the two scenes, subhanAllah. وَجُوهُنْ يَوْمَ إِذِنْ مُسْفِرَةً ضَاحِكَةٌ مُسْتَبْشِرَةً Istibshar is an interesting word in the Arabic language. It actually means to be full of delight because of a good news that comes to you. It comes from bishr, which actually means skin. And bashara actually means to peel skin, like peel skin of an orange or a banana or whatever, right? Istibshar means you're so happy as though the happiness was inside of you and you were waiting for this news and this news was like it, it peeled the sadness off of your face and now the happiness has been revealed. This is istibshar. So the happiness will be, un, you know, one, it was unveiled and now it's unpeeled with mustabshira. Dahikatun mustabshira. Wa And some other faces on that day, uh, they will have ghabara on them. Ghabara in the Arabic language is dust that's flying around and it it lands on things and settles on them, and it's hard even to wash off, okay? And so the idea of being that ghabara, these clouds of dust have basically come on the face of a person and they look dirty and disheveled, okay? So some faces will have that look on them. And this is not just even physical dust. Imagine the sadness and the depression on a person who doesn't even have literally dust on him, but just because of the sadness of that day and the pressures of the day, it looks like his face is covered in dust. It's blackened by just depression. That this, the tone of his skin has changed because of that terror and that sadness of that day. 
تَرْحَقُهَا قَطَرَ By the way, before I go on, just something for, for your vocabulary benefit, inshallah. In Arabic, in Quran, we find different words for dust. This is ghabara, cloud of dust and settling dust, right? There's naq'an, naq'an, fa'atharna bihi, naq'an in Surah Al-Adiyat, right? This is a cloud of dust when horses run really fast and they re- leave a cloud of dust behind. That's called naq'an. Then there's the word haba'an. Haba'an is used for very, very, you know, minute kind of dust that you can't even see. Okay, like the only time you see it is when the sun is shining in your window and you see that barely visible, right? That's haba'an. Allah says the kuffar will come with their good deeds. We will turn it into haba', spread out haba'. When they come with their good deeds, they will come with what they think is a good pile of good deeds. Allah will turn it into not even ghabara, not even naq'an, but haba'an, nothing. You can't even catch it. It's like fibers in the air. You can't even catch them, subhanAllah. Then at the end of the surah, tarhaquha qatara. Rahaq in Arabic is of something forcefully overshadowing, overshadowing or climbing over something else. This is called rahaq. So Allah says, qatara, whatever this qatara is, will climb over their faces. It'll climb over them. Now what is this qatara? Qatara is used for smoke that comes out of burning wood. It's also used for smoke when you're cooking something or barbecuing or something. Black smoke that comes out of fire. Okay? Interestingly, the Arabs have a, a funny sense of uh, humor. They call, uh, you know, a cheap person, they call him qatir. Qatir, not qatil. Qatir, with a ra at the end. Now, why do they call him qatir? Because when he invites you to his house, you smell or you can see the smoke of the food, but that's all you get to see. <laughs> so you don't really see anything else. So, <laughs> so he offers you some water and sends you off, but you, you know, but you, but you experience the smoke at least. So he's called qatir, right? So tarhaquha qatara, that the, this black smoke will climb itself on them and they won't be able to take it up. It will force itself on them. So there's dust and piled on top of that dust is black smoke. Subhanallah. Those in fact are the ones that are the worst kinds of deniers and disbelievers. Now who are these worst kinds of disbelievers? Go back to the beginning of the surah. The one who thinks he's free of need. In the previous surah. These are the worst kinds of disbelievers. The, the surah is coming to a conclusion with what it began. So, these are the worst kinds of disbelievers. Al-Fajara. Al-Fajara means the one who dis- disobey Allah in the worst, most you know, violent kind of fashion. Fujur literally is to rip open. Like Fajr is called Fajr because it rips open the darkness. It tears it open, tears through. Right? So Fajr, that they don't even, they don't even sin, they, they, they sin openly. And they sin viciously. It's not that they violate the lines 19, you know, 99%, 100%, 1%, little bit. They violate it all the way in pride. And they put themselves out there in parades, showing, look, we disobey Allah and we're proud of it. This is al-fajara. Inshallah ta'ala, at the end of the surah now, we are just going to go, and, and keeping with our tradition, I know I'm a little bit over, how the introduction of a surah is tied to the conclusion of the surah. In the beginning of the surah, fi awaliha, we saw two kinds of people. And on the other hand, We found the person who thinks he's free of need, and we found the person who came running to the Prophet in, in, out of fear of Allah. And he's actually afraid, and he wants to take benefit to uh, reminder, benefit himself from a reminder, and cleanse himself as a person. At the end of this surah, Allah describes what's going to happen to these two kinds of people. The cases are turned. The one who was afraid in dunya 
At the end, bright smile on his face. He's living a life of fear now, concern now, worried that he's not obeying Allah enough or not cleansing himself enough or not benefiting from the reminder enough. And at the end, big smile on his face, can't even hold his laughter back. When he sees his report card. And the guy who's got a big smile on his face now and doesn't take anything seriously, you know, dunya sijnul mu'min wa jannatul kafir, right? The dunya is the prison of the believer and the jannah of the disbeliever. So the guy who had jannah already here, how is his face looking on that day? Subhanallah, how these people began in an attempt to even humiliate and undermine the message of Islam and the, the work of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and how Allah humiliates their faces at the end. So last comment inshallah, the humiliation of the face is the worst kind of humiliation in Arabic expression. When somebody's face is mentioned uh, or something negative about someone's face is mentioned, that is the worst kind of humiliation. That, is, that can be mentioned in the Arabic language. So Allah insults them in the worst possible fashion towards the end as a result of their istighna. May Allah protect us from istighna and make us truly dependent on Allah in our hearts. May Allah Azza wa Jal benefit uh, us from this reminder. And may Allah Azza wa Jal benefit all the gathering here. The, what is learned, may Allah make it good and true and accept from us. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu alaykum. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.